Thank you for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. To discover more about Four Mile Creek or what it means to follow Jesus, you can visit us online at www.fourmilecreek.org. Here is this week's message. How many of you have ever begun a project before in which an instruction manual was available and be honest, How many of you have ever begun a project before in which an instruction manual was available, but you did not open the instruction manual before the project? All right, now let me tell you how this goes, and uh, you tell me that I'm right, okay? Uh, You order a piece of furniture from Walmart or Ikea, and uh, you look at the outside of the box. Oh, that's... That's simple, I can do that. I have seen it done, I have done it before. Maybe you buy a chainsaw or a weed eater and you're trying to figure out how to change out that attachment or how to change uh, the, 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 the chain on a chainsaw or the blade or whatever it is. And you say, I can do this without the instruction manual. What's only supposed to take 15 or 20 minutes takes 45 minutes before you even think to look at the instruction manual. And you look at the instruction manual and then you have to reverse engineer this mess that you've created in order to figure out what you messed up on. And you know, you got step one correct. You opened the box. (laughs) You put everything out in front of you. You've picked up that Allen wrench. By the way, you know they sell those things in hardware stores, right? So you can buy a full set of those. You just don't have to make a collection through Ikea furniture. But, But you get these things You lay it all out, you begin to assemble it, and you make some grave error. And you have to reverse engineer and you find out, you know, had I just read this to begin with, I would not be in the headache I'm in now. We have two nightstands at our house that I read the instruction manual. They just didn't send the right parts, and so I have uh, redneck to that in such a way that it gets the job done and uh, we just don't really use the drawers in the, in the thing. But I read the instruction manual. It just didn't send the right parts. But you know, a lot of times we approach church the same way we approach projects at our home. We say, well, we've always done it this way. Or we've always seen it done this way. Or this is what my mama said we do. Or this is what my daddy said we do. And we never bother to open up the instruction manual for the church. And so we begin to do things in a way that we think makes sense. And then we get into it and we find out this makes no sense whatsoever. So over these next few weeks, and and let me paint this picture for you of what we're doing, because we're, uh, I played basketball, we're gonna pivot and we're gonna begin to focus on a different aspect of the book of Acts. So what we've been focusing on since January, by the way, just because I said I played basketball does not mean I was a good basketball player, okay? (laughs) You invite me to play basketball at your home, I'm not going to do it, okay? I just had the height thing going for me, and so I knew how to block a shot, okay? I knew how to rebound. but, But these past few months, we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we've been looking at what it means to be a church on mission. So we've been through a series called Whatever It Takes a Church on Mission. Now, over these next few weeks and months, we're going to shift focus, we're going to pivot, and we're going to look at what it means to be a church in order. What does it mean to be a church that's rightly ordered under the authority of God as revealed in Scripture? 
How should we structure ourselves as a church? Can I just tell you something? We, we, we have some homework to do as a church. We have some house cleaning to do as a church. Not because we've been out of order, but because we just haven't touched what we've done in 60 years and some things need to be uh, uh, updated, some things need to be corrected. And we're going to be talking about that in more depth and what that looks like in coming months. But today we're just going to pivot focus and we're going to begin to look at what the Bible says. By the way, we're in Acts 6 today. We're going to begin to look at what the Bible says about what it means to be a church in order or people who like things to be done in an orderly fashion. Now, if you walk into my office, you're going to think, I don't have an order to what I do. <laughs> Petey's laughing because he's been in my office. I've got piles of paper and everything else, but I know where everything's at, and that's my system. And as long as nobody touches what's on my desk, or on my coffee table, or on my side tables, I'm good. <laughs> but if you touch it, I, I'm lost. And it's one thing to have a system of order that makes sense in your head if you're just trying to, to situate your home office or, or your office of work, whatever the case is. But when it comes to God's church, we don't get to dictate how it's to be ordered. If you read First and Second Timothy and Titus, those are often called the pastoral epistles. And what you're going to discover in those three letters is that God demands an orderly church, and he places expectations upon his leaders. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. Let me give you a leadership 101 course. Are you ready? Everybody is a leader. Everybody is leading somebody, even if that somebody is yourself. Everybody is leading somebody, even if that somebody is yourself. That's not original to me. It's from a guy named Clay Scroggins. How are you leading yourself? God's convicted me of that in the past few weeks. There are some things I need to tend to in my own life and I need to get rightly ordered if I'm going to be in this for the long haul. I've got to take care of myself physically, spiritually, emotionally. I've got to take care of myself, which means I have to place expectations on myself and on my calendar so that I can do things that are necessary to promote longevity in what God's called me to do. If I can't lead myself well, if I can't lead my family well, I certainly can't lead in organization. Well, I can't lead a church well. I can't lead a group of people well, regardless of how small or how large. So everybody's leading somebody, and God has given me specific parameters as pastor and as a husband, and if the Lord allows us to be parents, then as parents of what it is to be ordered under the authority of God as revealed in Scripture. In church, we have very specific parameters. And can I just tell you that by and large, what's happened over the course of Baptist life is we have, we have taken these systems and these structures and we have made miniature gods out of them. We give deacons more authority than they really need. We give leadership teams more authority than we need. And now everybody after I said that's thinking, the deacons are thinking, boy, is he about to hit us over the head with a two by four? People on leadership teams are thinking, Am I, are we going to get hit over the head with a two by four? No, no. We're going to look at what scripture says and we may arrive at the conclusion of where we're at now. We may arrive at a different conclusion. Because we may discover that how we've ordered ourselves or what we have and what it's become is outside of what Scripture says it should be. Does that make sense? 
So you may hear things you don't agree with. If that's the case, ask yourself and ask Holy God, Lord, do I not agree with this because Scripture doesn't say this? Or do I not agree with this because I just don't like what Scripture says? Now, in the interest of transparency, and listen, we're not even at the sermon yet. We're still in the introduction. Y'all are thinking, this is going to be a long sermon. Buckle up, buttercups. You're going to be okay, okay? Listen. In the interest of transparency, I have spent weeks talking to pastors and other church leaders. Uh, Todd, whether or not he's enjoyed it, I don't know. I hope he's enjoyed it. We've sat down at least twice to talk about the role of deacons and the role of pastors. And at one point I looked at Todd and I said, man, I don't know what to think about all this. Because I'm sorting out what scripture says and I'm sorting out what God has intended. We're talking about deacons today and what God has intended for deacons and and, and the role that deacons serve today. And, And you know what? Sometimes deacons don't serve like they should serve. Because somebody somewhere has said, hey, deacons, you can go do this. And they're never supposed to have been doing it in the first place. So with that being said, I'm going to tell you this. What I'm preaching today, reasonable people who love the Lord can disagree with what I'm going to preach today as far as the role and responsibility of deacons and still be in the faith. I reserve the right to morph on my understanding of what deacons do and their responsibilities. So long as we come back to scripture, we're okay. So if you leave here today and you say, Pastor, I disagree with what you preach today. That's okay. Reasonable people who love the Lord can disagree on this. This is not going to cause you to lose your salvation. Okay? We may wrestle. We may ask questions. And by the way, you put, you, you put 100 preachers in a room, you're going to have 500 different understandings of what deacons do and what they can't do. Okay? You, you put 10 deacons in a room, you're going to have 1,000 different understandings. So with that being said, are we all on the same page? We're going to spend these next few weeks and months looking at what the Bible says about how we should be ordered. Now, we're going to come back to the topic of deacons later this year. And we're going to do a deep dive into the qualifications of deacons when we come to deacons uh, nomination and election later this year. Okay, so this is not an all-inclusive thing. I'm, I'm hinting at the list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 at, at one point in the sermon. But this is not an exhaustive sermon. This is an overview. And, and I challenge you to, to do your own homework. Okay, all right. I've been doing my homework. I need you to do your homework too. All right, and we're going to see what the Lord would have us to believe and to do in light of his word. All right? If you're on the same page with me, say amen. Amen. Okay. Now we're going to go to the instruction manual. We we know what we're talking about. We're talking about deacons. And if I were to ask you to give me your understanding of a deacon, you could do that. If you were to ask, if I were to ask you to tell me about a deacon that has made an impact in your life, you could do that. Deacons serve a vital role in the church. And as we begin this conversation on deacons, we need to understand the role and the ministry of pastors. That's where it begins.
Because when we understand what pastors do, we better understand what deacons do. Now we're going to get to Acts 6 in just a moment, but we need to understand what pastors do. So pastors are not a dictator and they are not a one-man committee. I do not like when people do not want to tell me what they think. When I grab a group of people together and I say, here's what we're talking about, here's what's before us, tell me what you think. I need to know because in the presence of many counselors, as Proverbs tells us, there is safety. Now the pastor is responsible for the well-being of the souls in which he has been entrusted to lead. He does not serve because you said this is our pastor as a church. You may have a vote, you may affirm, but it is God who determines your pastor. It is God who determines your pastor. It is your job to affirm that whichever man is put before you is indeed God's man. That's why every search committee that I've ever heard of requires that that committee be in 100% agreement with each other. If one person says no, that's not the guy. Now, there may be people who say no in the congregation. That's okay. Number one, they may not be walking with Jesus to begin with. They may not be praying. They may want something from a pastor that a pastor is never supposed to be. And so they vote no because they're just on the cold bucket committee. Anytime somebody's got a good idea, they come and throw cold water on them. But we need to understand what the role of the pastor is. So number one, the, role, the pastor is the under-shepherd for the church who serves at the discretion of the chief shepherd. You need to understand the ministry of the pastor. I, as your pastor, serve at the discretion of the chief shepherd. He sent me here. When he's ready for me to go, he'll get me out of here. So whether that's today, next week, five years from now, or 50 years from now, he'll get rid of me from this place when he's ready to get rid of me. We serve at the discretion of the chief shepherd. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul is preaching to the Ephesian elders. He says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, listen to this, of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. Notice it does not say, to which the church got together and cast a ballot and there was a 100% vote and so, woo, you're a pastor. That's not what it says. It says, to which the Holy Spirit has appointed to you as overseers, and then what's the role? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The pastor is the under shepherd who serves at the discretion of the chief shepherd. He is worthy of respect and honor. First Timothy 5.17, Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, the elders who are good leaders, did you catch that? I, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna talk about pastors for a moment. Pastors that get up and go play golf during the week when they should be leading the flock for which they've been appointed to as an overseer is neglecting his God-given command in ministry. There's nothing wrong with playing golf. Listen, I've got a set of golf clubs. I like going to the driving range. But I'm not going to the driving range. In fact, I've not been to the driving range in two or three years to the neglect of what God has called me to do here. The, leader, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Did you catch that? Who work hard at preaching and teaching. A pastor's job, and we're going to see this in just a minute, is to faithfully preach and teach the word. 
The apostles tell us in Acts 6, which we're going to get to in just a moment, that it is not right for them to neglect the ministry of the word and prayer. Pastors are to be about preaching and teaching. He is to faithfully follow Jesus in his own personal life. Paul says in Philippians 3.14 that I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He's to pursue Christ. Likewise, church, you're to pursue Christ. Right? You're, you're not going to grow if the only time you come in here and, and eat from the table of the Lord is on a Sunday morning. You will not grow. You will starve. Try eating once a week. Tell me how that goes. It's not going to go very well. You have to, you have to faithfully pursue Christ and make him known. He's to be able to teach. Do you know that is the only skill set that a pastor is told he must have? Is to be able to teach. Everything else deals with character. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 2. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. If a pastor can't teach, what's he doing? He may have to work double time to teach and preach well, but is he able to teach? In turn of the pastor doing this, in turn of the pastor pursuing his calling, what is your responsibility as the church? The church, in turn, is to freely, joyfully, and excitedly follow the pastor's lead as he follows Jesus. If you don't support the pastor of the church you're in, why? I'll go on and I'll say it. If, if you don't, man, this, this, this is going to come off and it's not going to sound very well when I say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. If when you think of me and when you come to this church, you say, I can't stand this man. I don't want to follow him. I don't like what he's doing. Can I ask you why? Is it because the status quo is no longer acceptable? And I'm saying to you, it's time to give God our best and not to walk around defeated. And therefore that requires growth and change on our part in order for us to give God our everything. Everything we do, Paul says in Colossians, do it as unto the Lord. So is it that there's growing pains and you just don't like that God has disturbed the comfort of your life? Now, and listen, when I was a staff member, I, I would tell my pastors, listen, I'll back you 100% as long as it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or against the Bible. But if you do any of those things, I'm going to lead a coup against you and I'm going to seek to win. Amen. Now, there's one thing if a pastor you know, does something or says something in the pulpit that's just wrong and you call him out and you say, hey, that wasn't right. And he goes back and corrects himself. But if he continues to teach false teaching, that's unacceptable. Amen. If he's doing things that's he shouldn't be doing and he won't repent that's a problem Amen. Jesus is perfect you and I are not and I'm certainly not perfect I don't have all this figured out I have brothers in my life who will look at me and say boy that was stupid some of them look and say mm, you're right but you were wrong in the same breath you ever done that you've been right and wrong in the same breath we don't have it all figured out but as he's following Jesus, you're to do that. That's why Paul can say uh, to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. As I'm imitating Jesus, imitate me as I imitate him. That, that does not mean mimic me in the sense of if I go right, you go right. But as I'm seeking to follow Jesus, you imitate that. You imitate Christ. You're not always going to do it perfectly, but you seek to do it faithfully. 
And when you don't do it perfectly, confess your sin to the Lord and ask him to help you do better. He'll give you the power and the grace and the strength to do that. So the pastor is to be worthy of respect. He is the under-shepherd who serves at the discretion of the chief shepherd. He follows Jesus faithfully. He must be able to teach. In turn, you, the church, follows the pastor freely, joyfully, and excitedly. And then what's the primary ministry of the pastor? Some of you are thinking, are we ever going to get to deacons? (laughs) Stick with me. We're almost done. You have to understand what pastors do first because then it's going to help the deacon office make a lot more sense in just a moment, okay? So the role in the ministry of the pastor, and by the way, I don't like the term the role, but that was the word I kept playing with this week, and I finally settled on ministry. The first thing the pastor must do is equip the saints for the work of ministry. It is to equip you for ministry. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, that he himself, that is Christ, so he, Christ, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. As pastor and as our staff ministers, our job as a whole is to equip you for ministry. It's not to do the ministry for you. It's to equip you to do the ministry. If you delegate all the ministry to those who are in some type of ministry leadership position, the church will not thrive. It will not fulfill its mission. If the only time that you want to be involved with ministry is when all the legwork is done. And when all of it's come together and you show up and you say, all right, I I helped put this thing together. No, you didn't. Listen, when the Saints won the Super Bowl, everybody went around, we won the Super Bowl, we won the Super Bowl. No, we didn't. When they won the Super Bowl, I was cheering them on. I I don't have a Super Bowl ring. We're being involved in all this. And the pastor's job, those who serve in ministry leadership, their role is to equip you for the work of ministry. It is, to, it, it, it is to propel you to ministry. And if you're not seeking to be faithful in the everyday stuff of life, as you seek to minister to God and to his people, what are you doing? Well, the pastor will do that. Well, I'm sorry, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's also to be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. We're going to get into the whole uh, uh, text in just a moment, but in Acts 6-4, the apostles say we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You know what this tells us? The primary role of the pastor is not hospital visits. It is not home visits. It is not administrative duties. It is not sitting in leadership team meetings. Though all those things are necessary and are required in the pastoral office. And if anybody knows, I know. I care about what our leadership teams are discussing and planning and doing. Some of you are not in your head yes because you've been in leadership meetings where I'm in the room and I care very much about the outcome of that meeting. Because I have to give an account for what we do. If you're in the hospital, it is not my primary job to visit you, though I certainly will. And I will do so gladly and without hesitation and without wanting anything in return. It is your job, church, to make the visit first. Well, you know, I've got a child who's never been in this church and, uh, you know, he's sick. You know, the pastor should really go visit until the pastor visits. 
um, nobody's really visited him. Well, first off, he's not in this number. So he's not even on my radar. But if it would be such a kingdom impact for me to go visit, I will gladly do that. But can I tell you, if it's your kid and you want somebody from the church to go visit, ask your Sunday school class. Ask your small group. Ask those men uh, that, 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 that you're having coffee with on a Friday morning or whenever it is you're having coffee. The primary role of the pastor is not to hospital visit, to home visit, to do administrative duties or anything. Those things are involved. His job is to preach, teach, and be devoted to prayer. So anything that regularly detracts from that can be problematic. So what's the solution? Are you with me? Have I lost you? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Thumbs up if you're with me, thumbs down if I lost you, thumbs sideways if you're coming with me. Which one are you? Okay, y'all felt audience participation. Do you understand what a pastor's job is? This is a 10,000 foot view, by the way. You understand what a pastor's job is? Say amen. Amen. Okay. So where do deacons come in? Okay, in Acts 6, beginning in verse 1. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote, the apostles said, ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole company. And so they choose their seven. And they had them stand, verse six, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So we need to understand the ministry of deacons. You understand the ministry of a pastor, you need to understand the ministry of deacons. So what are the ministry of the deacons? Well, to understand, I actually need to know the immediate problem of today's text. The Hellenistic Jews, I'm sorry, the, Hel- the, yeah, no, the, yeah, the Hellenistic Jews, um, have a complaint that the Hebraic Jews uh, are getting more than their fair share of the daily distribution. So this is what's going on. Prior to Acts 6, the church is uh, selling property and personal possessions. They're putting it all together in a pot and they're taking care of each other and they're distributing it to each other as any had need, the Bible tells us. The Hellenistic Jews are people who, uh, who are of uh, a non-Jewish descendant. Non-Jewish lineage is the word I'm looking for. Your Hebraic Jews are people who, who come from the line of the Jews. Uh, uh, when it comes to, to bloodline. And there's a complaint. And they say, hey, they're getting more than their first year. So there's a threat to unity. And whatever the solution was going to be was going to be more than a one-off solution. Some problems that pop up in church life require just a small course correction, and you can move on. Some problems require a long-term solution. Sometimes you may have to... It, in our immediate context, you have to develop policies and procedures. You have to train people in that. You have to get it involved and worked into culture and DNA, into the thought process of what we do, why we do, and so forth and so on. And whatever this was, whatever the exact nature of the complaint, whatever the exact uh, uh, problem and, and the beef that had arisen from that, this was going to be a long-term solution to a problem that had arisen to the level of the 12 apostles. Mind you, 
Thousands are in the faith. The church is blowing and going. This is now a problem. And so the apostles get together and they say, look, for us to address this, we're going to have to neglect our ministry. And that's not right. What ministry has God given you? What has God called you to do with your life? What things, I, I did not intend to say this, but I'll say it. What things in your life detract, take away from what God has called you to be about? All these things that you say, I must do, can I ask you something? Does God really require you to do those things? Or is that a self-imposed requirement? If God's not required you to do those things, it's not the end of the world if you don't get to it. So deacons come along and they say, hey, choose seven. Choose seven deacons to oversee this. Choose seven deacons that are going to take care of this. Serve this need, serve these people in such a way was their task that it freed up the apostles to do their God-called ministry. So what do deacons do? The primary role of deacons is to serve the church in such a way that the pastor and ministry staff is freed up to devote themselves to preaching, teaching, and to prayer. Does that make sense? Listen, I enjoy hospital visits. I enjoy home visits. Listen, I enjoy all that. But things that regularly detract from my ministry are a problem. Just a few weeks ago, I'm in my office and I said, Lord, this is why I can't get anything done. Every time I turned around, there was something else that popped up that required my attention. I'm like, Lord, I need to study the word. I need to be preparing my sermons. I need to be preparing these things. But I'm having to do this instead. And you know what? That's just a part of it. That happens. I'm not telling you that to say, oh, woe is me. I'm just telling you that's what happens. And we all have things that pop up like that. We may have weeks or seasons where left and right we turn around and things pop up and it detracts from what we're to be about. And so you know what you do? You, you tighten your belt, roll up your sleeves, and you do what you got to do. And you pray that God would give you the grace and the strength to bear up under it, to do it faithfully and to the best of your ability. But deacons come in and they serve in such a way that free up the pastor to do his ministry and therefore help take care of you. Listen, I love you, but if it was all up to me, I'd be in an insane asylum. I mean, I love you, but I can't do this by myself. There are no Lone Rangers in ministry. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. There's no Lone Rangers in ministry. Deacons serve in such a way that the church is taken care of and the pastor is freed up to do his ministry. So what does that look like practically speaking? Greeting members and guests at the worship service, visiting hospitals and nursing homes, meeting benevolence needs, uh, encouraging members in their journey with Jesus, uh, seeking ways to support their pastor both publicly and privately and seeking ways to encourage him. And can I just tell you, we're going to be talking about deacons more in the coming months. We don't need just any type of deacon in this church. Okay? We, we, we just don't need any old deacon. Anybody can just be any old deacon. We need deacons who are God-honoring, God-loving, who love God's people, and who will seek to make God's name known in every aspect of their life as they seek to serve the local church. Amen. 
I have been in churches where I have served with phenomenal deacons, deacons like Max and Jim and Andy and Chad and others who, who are the epitome of what it means to be servants. We have deacons, all four of our deacons in this church are just like that as well. They, they, they reflect what it means to be a servant. But I've served in churches and I've had friends who have served in churches in which the deacons are an absolute nightmare. They say to the pastor, you must preach this. You must preach this way. You must ordain this individual who's shacked up uh, with a married woman into the deacon office. And then when he says no, they fire him. They say to the pastor, you can only teach uh, uh, this side of the theological coin and the other side is perfectly acceptable in Baptist life and in Baptist doctrine. And so they push them out. Deacons who come in and say, we will only do this regardless of what the pastor says. That is outside of the role of a deacon. Deacons are there to serve. They are there to serve. They are there to encourage you and support you and help meet your needs. They are there to encourage the pastor. And I'm going to tell you this. Pastors need good deacons. You need good deacons. You need good deacons. I need good deacons. Don't neglect that reality. And I'm going to tell you, because we've got three of our deacons in here today. And I don't want y'all to think that this sermon has come up because they have done something that they should not have done. That's not the case. Number one, it came up because it's, it's literally next to the book of Acts. Secondly, we need to understand what deacons do. And by the way, we have a history and a culture in this church of deacons who operate like they ought to operate been reading our bylaws and constitution and Pastor Walker who was the one who authored that along with the committee at the time and, and, and who led the incorporation process really understood that if you read our constitution bylaws they're chief servants that's what they're to be about our four deacons if I say I need you to hop they start hopping and then ask how high and I appreciate that and can I just tell you that if you have a need in this church, you can call these deacons and they're going to come day or night. Right. And listen, I, I'm asleep at 3 a.m. in the morning generally. But one of the things they told me when I met with them, if you want us to meet you at Waffle House to share Jesus with people at 3 a.m. in the morning, we'll meet you there. You just tell us when, where, and which Waffle House. I'm like, well, I'm asleep at 3 a.m., but thanks for the offer. As far as I'm concerned, 3, 3 o'clock only comes once a day, not twice. <laughs> But we have good deacons here. They're worthy of respect. They're worthy of honor. They're worthy of praise. They need your prayers and they need your encouragement as well. You need to understand the ministry of deacons. They serve you in such a way that they free up me and our ministry staff to do the work of ministry and to equip you specifically. Our work of ministry is to equip you for the work of ministry, which looks different for each of you. How many of you are in the same place every day at the same time with everybody in this room. Not a one of us. So everywhere you go, you have different avenues for ministry. They're there to equip you. We're here to equip you for whatever that ministry may look like. And our deacons are there to help serve any needs you may have, legitimate needs you may have.
You also need to understand the qualifications of a deacon. You need to understand the qualifications of a deacon. In today's text, only two immediate and explicit qualifications are given. I believe there's an implicit one as well. We're going to get to that. The apostles say uh, in verse 3, Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Of good reputation. Deacons are to be a people who others look at with respect. What is their character like today? Now, am I saying that you had to be perfect your entire life? No, because can I tell you something? As much as you and I may try, we will never be perfect. That's why we need Jesus to be perfect for us so that we can have communion and fellowship with perfect God. But we are talking about people who have sought to faithfully follow Jesus in the here and now. I've known men who have been nominated to deacon office in which I was honestly afraid of what some people were saying about them from their past. Time has borne out that these men have honestly been changed and transformed and converted. And I'm thinking of one individual in particular, whose name I'm not going to say because I don't want to listen to this, who I am so proud of. Every time I talk to him, every time I hear of him and what he's doing, I am so proud of him because I know what he's been through. I know the growth that has taken place in his life but he sought to faithfully follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Let me tell you something. They're to be men of good reputation. They are to be people who you can seek to imitate. There may be things like, man, I wouldn't have done that, or man, I wish that wasn't there. But you know what? By and large, there are people who have been marked by grace who are men after God's own heart. They're to be men of good reputation but they're to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. They're to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Ministry is not something that you do in your own strength. I've said that time and time again. You have to have God the Holy Spirit to enable you and empower you and to give you the grace to do that ministry. Are you with me? Are you with me over here? Amen? Okay. Y'all look like I'm boring you to death today. Listen to what God might have for you. I don't know what he's saying to you, but, but listen carefully to what he might have for you. We don't serve in our own strength. We serve in the Spirit's strength. And so if he's going to be full of the Spirit, he has to be saved because you're not going to be full of the Holy Spirit. Well, you're going to be full of a Spirit, but you're not going to be full of the Spirit if you're not saved. And you're certainly not going to be wise. Wisdom is knowledge applied. You cannot be wise as God wants you to be wise if you've never surrendered your heart and mind to the Lord Jesus. If you're going to be a deacon, you have to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You have to be willing and able to apply that knowledge correctly. You have to walk in step with the Spirit. I know deacons who do a phenomenal job of demonstrating what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. Who are constantly yielding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Who say, you know what, Lord? And I, I know of one individual. Lord, I, I am done with the deacon service. I'm old. My time is up. And he would not serve for at least five years. And finally, the Holy Spirit said, it's time. You've sat down long enough. It's time to get up and serve again. And so when it came time for deacon nomination and selection, he put himself forward. And I'm thinking, brother, 
Where were you at? You were inactive the entire time I was around you. Where were you at? I would have loved to serve alongside of you in ministry as one of our deacons. But he walks in step with the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. He's full of wisdom. He's full of knowledge and understanding. He's been marked by grace. That's what deacons are to be. Deacons are to be people who are imitating God the Holy Spirit as he leads in everything they do. The other thing we see in here, it's an implicit reference, it's an implicit qualification, is they have to be pursuers of peace. Now we know from the list that Paul gives us, they can't be quarrelsome, they they can't go around looking for a fight. They need to be pursuers of peace. They need to be peacemakers. Do you know what the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping is? Peacemaking is messy. It's messy. And these men have to be pursuers of peace And if it is needed, they need to be peacemakers. This disagreement, this complaint against the Hebraic Jews was enough of a rift to rise to the attention of the 12 apostles. Obviously, it was threatening unity. Obviously, there were some feathers that were ruffled. So part of the deacons meeting this need was to pursue, protect, and defend Peace at all costs. Not to go in and knock heads together or or, or knock people over the head with a two by four, but to say, what's the disagreement? What can we do to bring the two groups back into fellowship with one another? Obviously, it worked because in verse seven, the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. How pleasant is it, Psalms tells us in Psalm 133, when God's people dwell among each other with unity and in harmony. Deacons are to be pursuers of peace. I know of some quarrelsome deacons. I know of some deacons who will seek to sow seeds of dissension and discord, and that is absolutely unacceptable. Deacons should never, ever, ever be people who sow seeds of dissension and discord, who seek to build their kingdom above God's kingdom. And unfortunately, just as there are with pastors, there are deacons who seek to build their own kingdom before they ever build God's kingdom. May it never be in this church. May it never be. So what do we do? Some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, I have been through the thick of it this week. I've been through the thick of it in this season and you're talking about deacons? What in the world does this have anything to do with my walk with Jesus? I think that's a legitimate question. When we start talking about offices of the church like this and servants in the church, Sometimes people sit, and listen, I've been guilty of this. You sit in the pew and you take your notes because you don't want to fall asleep. And you're thinking, boy, how does this even apply to my walk with Jesus? And if you're asking that question today, I've been thinking about you this week. Because I've been trying to answer that question as I've prepared and prayed and, and searched the scriptures this week. So let me tell you how it applies. 
First, Christian, you need to pray for our current deacons. You need to pray for our current deacons. They wear multiple hats in this church. Some of them, all of them actually, will listen to me vent when I need to vent, and they will stand there with a smile on their face, and when I get done, they'll say, well, we love you, Pastor, and we're going to be praying for you. They will do the same for you. They, they do so much more than I have time to go into. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that if there is a legitimate need in this church, these deacons will seek to meet them. Two of them, God bless them, <laughs> drove all the way to Brookhaven to help me finish my house. That's what servants do. And I'm so glad they did. I'm glad one of them knew electricity because I was in above my pay grade in one room. <laughs> but pray for them. Pray for their endurance, their health, and their families. Hey, church, you need to pray for future deacons. We're going to talk more about this in a few months. I was asking our deacons uh, a few months ago um, about their length of service. Do you know that at minimum, each of our deacons have served 15 consecutive years without a break? That's on the low side. We have some who are pushing 20, 25, 30. It's time that they have a break. Pray for future deacons. Pray that God would highlight to us as a church men who are qualified by scripture that could fulfill the ministry and meet the qualifications of deacons in this church. We're going to talk about deacon nomination selection later this year, but begin to pray for that now. Can I tell you, our deacons have been praying for that since January. Pray for our current deacons. Pray for our future deacons. Consider how you might follow their example. Consider how you might follow their example. When I grow up, I want to be like a deacon named Jim Johnson. I do. He, in fact, some of you have met him. He was here January 1st, my first day. I want to be an old dude that is as cool as he is and loves the Lord and loves God's people as much as he does, and I mean that. I want to be an old dude who's willing to sit across from a young buck and say, I want to help you pursue Christ even more. When I grow up, I want to be like Jim Johnson. I want to be like some other deacons. What about you? When I grow up, I want to be like Jesus. That's understood. That's understood. But which men in your life who have served in the deacon office have made such an impact that you say, boy, when I grow up, I want to be like him. I've got some old pastors that when I grew up, I want to be like. Amen. I just want to have better Boudreaux and Thibodeau jokes than one of them. Consider your own life. Deacon serve, it's in their DNA. Who are you serving? How are you serving? Some of you, the only thing you do is come in here and sit on the pew and that's all you do. Now let me tell you, if that's all you can do, 
because of physical limitations, medical limitations, that's okay. But can I just tell you, if all you're doing is coming in here and sitting and you're not going to war on behalf of this church and your pastor and your deacons in prayer, you're not doing everything you can't do. Consider our deacons. Who are you serving? How are you serving? It's in their DNA. They've been so marked by grace, they don't know anything but to serve. They don't know anything but to serve. Who are you serving? How are you serving? Jesus has so served you. Don't you think it's time you serve him and his people? Minister to the Lord. Minister to the Lord's people. But you also need to consider your own journey with Jesus. In 1 Timothy 3.9, Paul tells young Timothy that one of the qualifications of deacons is that they are to hold the mystery of the faith in a good conscience. In other words, they're to be saved. They're to be transformed by the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been converted to Christ. They've been transformed by Christ. You're to be transformed by Christ. You're to be converted to Christ. That's what God wants for you. God desires that all should be saved and that none should perish. Doesn't mean that all will be saved, but he desires that you be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever would believe in him might be saved and not perish. He wants you to be transformed. And the reality is you can come up with a hundred million reasons of why you shouldn't come to Christ. I, listen, I've shared the gospel with enough people. I can, I can name off some reasons. Oh, I'm, I'm good. No, you ain't. <laughs> no, you ain't. You need Jesus. Or I, I, I need to think about it. What do you need to think about? Or I, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. <laughs> By the way, sinners don't, sinners don't mind the fact they're bad. They just mind the fact that you know they're bad and they're messed up. That's what they mind. Do you hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience? Have you beheld the one who died so that your sinful soul could be counted free? Have you looked into his face? Have you said, Jesus, you are God, I am not. And I recognize that some of you in here are going through a season of Well, just a valley season. And as I was preparing for this message, the one thing I thought about what deacons teach the church is that ministry to God and for God, faithfulness to God and for God, never stops because of what you're going through. It never stops. Do you not think that those who serve in the deacon office have ever walked through a valley where they wake up in the morning and they say, Lord, I just don't know how I can do what you've called me to do today. But yet they get out of bed and they say, surely I will go in the strength, Lord my God, And they put all of their weight upon him. And they serve. And they serve you. And they serve me. They serve each other. 
I don't know what you're going through today, but can I just tell you this? God's faithfulness doesn't end either. The reason deacons get up and they serve regardless of the valley that they're walking through in their own walk with Jesus is because they know that his mercies are new every morning. And God says to each of us today, my mercies are new today. Consider your own ministry and your own service. Consider your own heart. If you've never been converted to Christ, but you say, ah, today's the day. I need this Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm destined for hell. And I've been doing things my own way and it ain't working. And Jesus, I need you. The Bible says that if you will confess Christ as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will Today's invitation is this. As we're singing, whatever song it is we're singing, I think it's softly and tenderly. If, if you need to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, you, you can come down during the song. You can get with me after the service and we'll talk to you about it. If you need to join the church during the song or after the service, following uh, obedience and believer's baptism, Come down during the song or after service. We'll talk about what that means and what that looks like. But if you say, you know what? I'm good. I'm good today. I, I don't have anything I need prayer for. I don't have anything that, that I just need to lay at the feet of Jesus today. As we sing this song, I want you to pray for our current deacons. And I want you to pray for future deacons. And I want you to thank God for them. I want you to pray for their endurance and their strength. I want you to pray that God would continually fill them with his presence and with his indwelling spirit. So that they may serve faithfully and with endurance and longevity. So with that, will you stand and pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, we thank you for deacons. We thank you that you have told us what deacons do. You've told us what qualifications they have to have, Lord, and that you, you qualify the called. And so, Father, we, we pray first for our current deacons. We pray that you would give them endurance and strength, that you would give them all that they need to do all that you've called them to do faithfully for your glory and the good of those around them. Lord, we pray for future deacons. Lord, we pray for men in this room and men that are aren't even here yet. God, we pray that you would highlight those men who are qualified by Scripture and who can faithfully fulfill the responsibilities of deacon ministry. That you would highlight them to us. God, that you would begin to work in their hearts and their minds. If they're married in the hearts and minds of their spouse and children, that if this is what you're calling them to, Lord, that they would grab the bull by both horns they would do so excitedly and with joy. And Lord, we pray for those in this room. Lord, those who do not know you, but they're considering their own walk, and they say, you know, I, I don't have a life marked by grace. I don't have a life that holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would reveal to them their need for you and that they would respond in faith and in obedience, confessing Christ Jesus as Lord and believing in their heart God's raised him from the dead. And Lord, whatever heartache and pain and, and suffering is in this room, Lord, just as 
deacons and other faithful servants serve in your strength regardless of what they're walking through, that those who are walking through a valley today would say to you, Lord, just as these faithful servants have trusted you day in and day out, so too I choose to trust you today. And I'll lay it at your feet. And so, Lord, we enter this time of invitation, giving it to you, asking you to do whatever it is you want to do. And, Lord, we'll receive it with open arms. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake.